Punching sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, how ridiculous. We're the only country in the world where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous, and it has to end. It is possible to believe in responsible gun ownership and to believe that there should be regulations on that. Anthony Scalia said that. On Tuesday, we also saw the highest consumer confidence numbers that we have seen since the year 2000. Tuesday is coming quickly. Let's keep. America and the American economy moving forward, not backwards. I'm not like other politicians. You've seen what happens. I've kept my promises. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Oh, so good to be with you. Today's Wednesday, and uh, it's, it's a great day for all of us here in America to be grateful to be here. And also to be grateful to be on the radio. And guess what? I have so much for you today. We are going to be delving into uh, promises kept by the president. I think it's time for an update. I think it's time for a checkup. We've done this segment before on the show, and I love doing it because it is a biblical precept that when you make a promise or swear an oath to anyone, you are supposed to keep it. And so... We see the president doing that. In fact, I found it fascinating to learn from Dr. Carol Swain, who uh, she provides commentary on this network and sometimes comes on on interviews on many of the programs here. And she's a doctor. uh, She has extensive educational background and has written many books. And really, she's she's one of the best commentators of our time and thought leaders. And she said she was attending a conference where someone from the president's cabinet stood up to speak for a little bit and talked about this whiteboard that he's had in in offices there at the White House since he was inaugurated. And on the whiteboard, he has a bunch of promises that he made to the American people when he was campaigning. And as he completes them, he writes the date that it was completed and then crosses it off the list. This is a man who's bent on delivering what he promised to the American people. That is an honorable kind of way to live. And we should all be thankful that he lives that way. And so, you know, he's, he's a human being. He's got flaws and everything else. But when we have an opportunity to pat someone on the back or say thanks, uh, we, we, we definitely want to do that here on the show. And so really grateful for that. Uh, so here's who we have on this hour. We're going to talk to John Zmerich. He's the editor of The Stream. He's going to come on and chat with us about President Trump's uh, possible executive order ending birthright citizenship. And remember, it's not I know we're all trying to find ways to talk about this cogently, but it's not it's not that he's ending it. It's that he's writing a wrong that has been in effect since the 60s or so when Democrats decided that they needed a permanent underclass and they couldn't count on blacks to be that permanent underclass. And so they looked to expand their base through illegal immigration. And ever since then, we've seen court cases and rulings that have really flouted what the Constitution says about what it means to be an American citizen. The president wants to right that wrong, so it's not him ending anything. He's simply restoring the rule of law back to what the Constitution actually mandates in the Bill of Rights, namely the 14th Amendment. So 
Um, we're also going to have some audio from, remember yesterday I said we were hearing from uh, Air Force General Terrence J. O'Shaughnessy, and then it turned out we were hearing from uh, C- C- Customs and Border Patrol Chief. And so I have a little bit of audio of him talking about the concertina wire uh, to kind of write that. You're going to hear that today as well. And then we're going to circle back around to Missouri, where Claire McCaskill has suddenly found her Republican roots. It's so awesome. She likes Donald Trump now. She's upset with Democrats who are crazy and screaming people out of restaurants. I mean, she's just sounding like um, um, she's sounding like Claire McCaskill during a campaign year. Yeah. So we're going to hear so just a, it's a tid little tidbit of her, and we're going to go over some of the opportunities that she's had over the past couple of years since the president's been elected to show that she really can govern from the middle and respect the wishes of a very red state like Missouri uh, that behaves like a purple state occasionally, but usually is pretty red. She could have exercised her her voting rights as a senator on behalf of Missourians. Numerous occasions. We're going to highlight those. We're going to take some calls. Call lines will be open, that third segment, at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Right now, I want to get into the Daily Confession. So this is awesome. And oh, by the way, in the intro to the show, you heard some audio from Stacey Abrams. She's the Democrats candidate for the governorship of the great state of Georgia. And she feels that she can quote Justice Antonin Scalia on guns. And so I counter her quote on guns with this Antonin Scalia quote on God. God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools. He has not been disappointed. If I've brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. I wonder if Stacey Abrams would care to quote that particular missive from the late great justice of the Supreme Court. I'm I'm you know, my my 10 cents is on no, but I just thought I'd counter her quote with that. So. The Daily Confession for today, I have two verses for you, and this is, we're continuing our theme on how God sees us, and this is an important key to our faith. So if we think that God's up in heaven and he's not interested in our lives, he just wants to see us obey a certain set of rules, then when we mess up, our instinctive reaction will be, well, I've messed up. I got, I got, I got to get myself right before I can go to God. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I can't go to God when I'm angry. I'm upset. I can't, I can't show God. God doesn't have time for me and my emotions. He's, he's interested in my obedience. Well, God is interested in our obedience, but He's interested in every aspect of us, every bit of us, and He knows us inside and out. So the fact that we're angry is no secret to Him. The fact that we're hurt or that we're upset or that we're joyous or happy or or maybe even experiencing some Schadenfreude over someone else getting their just desserts, He knows all of those things, and He understands the feelings that we have because Jesus came here, lived as a human being from baby up to adulthood. So the feelings that we have are understood by our Father in heaven. That is, that's the amazing thing because he's a holy God and he otherwise would not be able to identify with our sinful nature, but he can through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the first verse I want to go into is the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. In this instance, the fear does not refer to actual fright or, um, you know, the kind of fear that makes you want to avoid someone or think that that person means harm towards you, the natural fight or flight fear response that human beings have, an instinctual response to get away from something that could harm you or will harm you or imminent danger. That is not the fear that is being spoken of here. This is the fear that means that you 
ultimately respect God and understand who he is and who you are, you understand that relationship and you want to obey him because you want to please him. And the underlying understanding there is that obedience brings blessing, closer relationship to God. And the the further into that you go, the the more joy you experience, the more peace, the more understanding, the more wisdom. And so we want to have the fear of the Lord. It also says, second half of that says, who put their hope in his unfailing love, that he is absolutely a, a God of love that holds that love for us no matter what, and that we can rely on it. We don't have to worry about him changing his mind or waking up one morning and not liking the arrangement of the stars and saying, you know what, I just don't care anything about those humans anymore or that particular human. That's not his nature. To go on, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, to understand with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, so the entirety of God's love, and to know the love of Christ, who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us and experienced the sin debt for every human who ever lived and every human who ever would live all at once for hours on the cross. He experienced the sin debt and payment for that sin for every single human being. The love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, that you might be filled with all of the fullness of God. And that's Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. So a lot to unpack there, but suffice it to say, to, to just simplify it ultimately, that God's love for us is so great that it nearly passes all human understanding, but that we can know it through studying his word and drawing closer to him, obedience, and in all of that, we strengthen our faith. So God is not angry with us. He's not uh, thinking bad thoughts about us or saying bad things about us. Rather, he longs for closeness with us, an individual relationship, and for us to fear him and be in right relationship with him and to place our hope in his unfailing love because it is the only thing that cannot fail. Man can fail, politicians can fail, political systems can fail, governments can fail, um, grocery checkout systems can fail. That's a story for another segment. Um, (laughs) Husbands, wives, families can fail. Nations can fail, but God cannot fail. He will not fail you. And that's the best place for us to put our hope and our faith um, because all other things can and will fail, but not God. So that's the daily confession. Confess those scriptures to God and experience the fullness that he has for us. Uh, We can go into some more of that as the week continues on. I also want to highlight for you, we are doing Operation Christmas Child. And October 22nd, through November 11th is when we're going to be running that. We also have, and this is really, this is just, you got to go to the website, samaritanspurse.org slash OCC, samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. Now, why do we want you to do this? Because these little boxes with what are trinkets to us in America, we're so wealthy. We have no idea of the extreme poverty of children living in nations where they're, they're, they're worried about what they're going to eat, the one meal a day or even three or four meals a week that they're going to get. They don't consider that they could possibly receive gifts for Christmas. And when we send them $9 worth of gifts in a Christmas shoebox or, or some, it's, it's a small token to us. And it doesn't even represent even a small fraction of what we give to each other here in this country for Christmas. But the $9 per shoebox gift donation online allows you to follow your box and receive a QR code to find out the destination of your gift. And it gives these kids 
a glimpse into um, the love of Christ through the giving of gifts. And children have come to know the Lord. And at very minimum, they know someone outside of their own family, outside of their country is thinking of them and praying for them and caring for them. So National Collection Week is almost here. Operation Christmas Child has collected and delivered gift-filled shoeboxes to more than 157 million children since the project began in 1993. Now, I'm so excited about it. You can go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, and you can find out how to participate. The actual collection week is November 12th through 19th, where you can drop off your shoebox at one of nearly 5,000 collection sites. That, so you get to pack your shoebox and then send it over, uh, drop it off, I mean, and it's going to be fantastic. You can find the closest collection site near you and get the, and get more info on um, what to pack and what, what works, what doesn't, things that the kids appreciate and also kind of need. And you can get all of that at Samaritans, SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. And that's where you can go to get that information. So thank you for, you know, working with me here. And I'm so excited about doing it. My kids love packing the boxes. And, you know, it's funny because you, you're you often surprised by what kids like, you know, especially when they get to the teen years. We see them as being these like, you know, kind of adults. You're not sure. It's, just, it's like a hybrid adult. It's a kid. It's an adult. They love these. They love choosing the items. They love packing them and thinking about what the kids are going to do when they get them. So um, SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to find out more and partner with us. Now, I want to get to my 289 accomplishments thus far. So obviously, I'm not just going to sit here for two hours and read, you know, um, a list of whatever the accomplishments were, but we're going to highlight some of them and we're going to punctuate. And then I'll have a link on the Facebook page and on the Twitter um, feed that you can click and go through and read them for yourself and share them. And I, I love pats on the back. You know, I don't expect them, but it's nice when they come. And when the president is doing something good, because I'm certainly going to criticize him when things happen that I don't like. And his cabinet members, you heard what I said about Kirsten Nielsen last week, the DHS secretary, and they've tightened that up since then. Not saying it's because of me, but I did weigh in. And so in the instance where the president is actually keeping promises, I, I, I will be no different. And programming note for uh, those who think that this somehow how my, my persona here on the radio has anything to do with. So are you the same person at work with, with your work folks as you are at home? I should hope not. Just a note. All right. So we will actually listen to this audio on the way back in. It's CBS saying that the president kept a promise on one of the promises that he made, which was border security. It's pretty amazing. We'll hear that on the way back in with John Smerick, editor of The Stream. Stay right there. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call one 800 
families, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. I've had my share of conversations with people who refuse to forgive. I know a family, for example, torn apart because of the wife's refusal to forgive her husband for something that happened years ago. It's turned into a deadly poison that has afflicted their children and those close to them. She is a very bitter, angry woman. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't confront those who have offended us. That is not what I mean by forgiveness. Forgiveness is not denial, and it's not just sweeping things under the carpet. But on the other hand, what I am saying is this. Forgiveness is not optional. It's not something we can decide to do or not to do based upon our disposition. I think we can learn something from Job, beginning at verse 8 in Job chapter 42. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Nehemathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. Now listen to verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he prayed for his friends. That's an expression of Job's forgiveness. Job forgave his friends and God restored his life and benefits and blessing. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Is there someone you need to forgive? Why not set yourself and them free by forgiving them? You're putting on hold the joy and blessings of God in your life. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The Trump administration is also launching a major military operation to, quote, harden the southern border and block illegal immigration. It includes more than 5,000 active duty troops to help Customs and Border Patrol agents in Texas, Arizona, and California. The president said last night he also plans tent cities to hold migrants while they apply for asylum in the U.S. Now, the operation targets a large caravan of migrants from Central America that is now moving through southern Mexico. Rija Zhang is at the White House where the president has told would-be border crossers, our military is waiting for you. Rija, good morning. Good morning, Nora. This plan is a promise kept by President Trump, who has recently ramped up the threats of using military might to stop that caravan. And, as you know, we'll be talking about some updates. I was reading this morning. I spent just as much time as I could squeeze out of this morning reading everything I could find about what's going on with the caravan. So watching some videos of real world reporting from there. And what I found is, first of all, these people really underestimated what it meant to walk a thousand miles to the first destination and then another thousand miles to our southern border. Some of them are turning back. Some of them have really heart-wrenching stories about children they've left home so that they could travel to America and, and force their way into the country. And their children are at home and they've stopped eating because they miss their mom. And they're, so they're turning back. They're looking for rides back home to their home country. Others are demanding buses because it, this is a physically, it's, 
I wouldn't say it's impossible for, but for someone like me walking 2000 miles, I would say at this point in my life, it's physically impossible. I would not undertake that. Um, now maybe the sense of desperation that they have is what's forcing them into it, but the wherewithal to continue on is lacking. And so they're now having certain organizations are funding truck beds and buses and et cetera, but they don't have enough for the entire group. So the numbers are dwindling a little bit, but they also have additional migrant groups forming up into caravans and, and following on to the original one. I saw an estimate that said it could possibly be 50,000 people at our southern border, which is why I retweeted a picture of a train heading through Arizona loaded up with tanks and, uh, you know, just all kinds of military hardware headed south to the border. Um, why should they stay in tents? We are not required to provide asylum seekers with hotel accommodations while they await their their uh, their adjudication. We're not required to do anything. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome John Zmerich. He's the editor of The Stream. Thestream.org is the website. Thank you, John, for joining the show today. Thank you. I'm senior editor, and it's just Stream.org. People can find it. Stream.org. Oh, Stream.org. I'm sorry. Stream.org is the website, not the. Stream.org. Simply right, stream.org, right. and you can find fantastic writing from the uh, the authors over there. It's just some of the best stuff you're going to find on the Internet, and Thank you. really good commentary as well. Thank you. Now, I think it's really essential that these people not be admitted onto American soil, because the moment their foot touches American soil, they get a warrior from George Soros or the U.S. Catholic bishops, and I'm a Catholic, but our bishops are behaving disgracefully on this. They're just trying to fill the pews with new people and get money from federal contracts. Forty uh, percent of the bishops' money comes from federal contracts serving immigrants. And mm -hmm. one out of five American Catholics is an immigrant, mostly from Latin America. So they're, they're just trying to keep filled the pews that they're emptying because of scandals. So, uh, and any churchman who, who, who says that we have a moral obligation as Americans to admit anyone who shows up, however false their asylum claim, uh, usually that person has a financial interest in it. Hmm. Wow. Um, thank you for that, uh, that information, because I think a lot of people, especially Catholics that I know who are, who are devout, you know, Christian Bible believing people, um, they're kind of ashamed of the, the ongoing scandal that's roiling the Catholic church with the, the right. priest abuse and all of that. And then it's kind of like adding insult to injury to find out that the church has been so closely linked to the refugee money coming from the government, which has oh, actually yeah. been pushed through the UN. So it's, it's a, another loss of our sovereignty that we even participate yeah. in the UN refugee program. Um, and so it's hard for people because they're, you know, they want to, they want to stay with their church, but there's, it's tough times uh, for Catholics around the country. Um, yes, yes, it yeah. is. And it's a tough time for America. I mean, if we let this caravan barge into our country, there are tens of millions more people ready to come. According to the, ha uh, the I'm sorry, the, I think it's the Harris poll. No, the Ga Gallup poll. The Gallup poll. There are 175 million adults want to emigrate to the United States. That doesn't count the children they would bring along. That's, you know, that would increase our population by 50%. That would bankrupt our welfare system. That would bankrupt Medicaid. That would that would close our hospitals. Our schools would be unsustainable. Our entire economy would collapse. But the Democrats would be pretty happy because they'd have a huge voter base of people looking for government programs. They would have turned America into Venezuela. 
And and turning America slowly into Venezuela has been the Democrats' plan for a long time. Now they found they can speed it up because they don't have to worry if they lose black voters, if they lose Hispanic voters or white working class voters, they can replace them with foreigners who will come in and expect a handout from the government because that's the kind of political system they grew up in. And so, John, I want to I want to point something out, and and I need your feedback here because I'm I know you've been writing about this and researching, and I think one of the things that people are are stuck on is that you you mentioned this at the very beginning. You said once they put their feet on American soil, they they get these lawyers paid for by George Soros, but it's also a sense of due process that they get. Right, right. It's basically a gift from our government to any human being. We value human rights so much in this country that we don't just limit human rights to people who hold citizenship here. So we don't treat non-citizens differently than citizens when it comes to them standing before the court and, and you know, holding their rights. But that right. is being so it costs abused. Us like $50,000 to litigate to prove what is obvious, that they're not refugees because they turned down refuge in Mexico. By international law, you're supposed to take refuge in the first safe country That if you're allegedly being persecuted. Now, if you're being persecuted by the government of Honduras, why are you able to leave in broad daylight? Why are you waving Honduran flags? And why are you turning down refugee status in Mexico? You're shopping around for the country with the best welfare system. On the face of it, not one of these people deserves refugee or asylum status. But if they make it to U.S. soil, it costs us tens of thousands of dollars for each one. We have veterans' hospitals that don't have enough bandages, that don't have enough medicine, where people are waiting for months to get treated, who served our country. And we're going to be spending our money litigating, obviously, on the face of it, fake refugee claims just because they snuck across our border. This is outrageous. So I saw a suggestion online that the American military, because there's there's all this, you know, that the conjecture is flying and people who don't don't they're not lawyers. They don't play a lawyer on TV. They don't even they haven't read the first thing about the law or out there pontificating about what the president can and can't do. Meanwhile, he's been consulting with counsel, White House legal counsel and other scholars. So the possibility of this executive order is not something that he's toying around with. It's researched and there's a possibility it could be constitutional. But beyond that. Do we have the right to operate our military along the border, it possibly incurs, incursioning or, you know, incurring into yes. Mexico? Do we, do we have the ability the to have our troops on the ground there? Well, the president has the right to close the country's borders at any time that he regards it as being in the national interest, period. That was reaffirmed after the ban on countries with lots of terrorism, which the left called the Muslim ban, though it wasn't. Oh, right. Um, right. That was while a bunch of circuit courts you know, attacked the president's constitutional authority, it was upheld by the Supreme Court. The president can close the Mexican border, and he should. I don't think he has the authority to move troops onto Mexican soil without Mexico's consent. That would be an act of war. Probably not the wisest thing. We should have our troops locking arms at the border. If it, if it, if it literally takes that, these people cannot be allowed to set foot on our soil. Each one will cost us tens of thousands of dollars for an obviously fraudulent claim. But, I, but okay, two, two things. First of all, I understand the part about putting our troops on their soil and that being an act of war, but them allowing people from another country to traverse their country to assail uh, uh, our border illegally is an act of war also in these numbers. We're talking about 1,700 a day on a normal day, but these people oh, plan to present themselves in 10,000. A group of 10,000 is an act of war, in my opinion. 
Look, I, I agree with you morally, but I think prudentially the wise thing to do is probably not to invade and occupy northern Mexico, but rather to ask them to let us do it. I mean, if they will let us do it, that, that would be great. You know, if they would let us occupy, like, the 10 feet of their soil on their side of the border, and in return, we'll, ha- we'll help them send those people back to Honduras. You know, we can send trucks down. We can help move them home. But it, it, this is a make-or-break issue for Trump politically. I think if he's seen to be caving on the border before the midterm elections, which really are a national impeachment referendum coming up on November 6th, um, I think it will depress turnout, and it would be very bad for the Republicans who would end up losing the House and getting impeached. So the president has to stand absolutely firm on this. Okay, so the second thing that I was going to say is, so I've, I've seen all of the reports. I've heard um, the, the chief of Border Patrol um, and also the head of U.S. Northern American Command um, Everyone's talking about the movement of assets and troops to the border. And you mentioned locking arms, but they're actually going to have concertina wire. They have 26 miles of it already there. They say they're ordering more for delivery. So they're planning on basically the the thing that we've asked for for 30 plus years and the thing that we've demanded that brought us President Trump, which is the border being actually sealed with a wall. It's going to be a makeshift wall, but Essentially, this caravan is prompting the thing that American voters have wanted for all of these years, which is it will be impenetrable at that point. What because I I, in my mind, I see all these scenarios and and mind you, it's just something that I think might happen. But I've been alive for a while and I think I you know, the human nature of these people is pretty obvious in their comments to Fox News when they're being interviewed. They would then camp out on the Mexican side waiting for any opportunity to cross illegally does this pre- precipitate the need for a base on our southern border? Um, I, I'm sorry, repeat the last part of your question. In other words, we are going to have, in addition to the almost 10,000 U.S. Customs and Border Patrol individuals who are always down there, right. we have already a little over 2,000 National Guardsmen down there. We're getting 5,200 active-duty U.S. troops, and we're getting C-130s and C-17s full of armament and equipment taken down there. Are are we seeing the beginnings of a a U.S. military base at the southern border? That would be a great idea. I've actually been arguing for some time that the president should cite military bases at the major crossing points of the Mexican border. Use eminent domain if you have to to take the land, compensate the landowners, build U.S. military bases all along the border, and then use Department of Defense funding to connect them with a wall if you can't get the money from the, the do-nothing Paul Ryan open borders types in the Congress. You know, your mind is suspiciously akin to my own. I like it, John. <laughs> I like it. I said that last week. I didn't know you'd already said it, but I figured, you know, someone else must yeah. have thought of this. It's, well, because I have I'm, a lot of ideas like this in my, my yeah. new book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Immigration. I hope people will check it out. Okay, yes. Please tweet me the link so I can retweet you because I want to I want to get that out to post that link all all over the place on social media. So let's talk about that a little bit more, because that is an idea that, in my opinion, is past its time. And it also circumvents the need to have Congress involved because the U.S. military opens and closes bases all day, every day, 365 days a year without any congressional oversight beyond what the Department of Defense has to do to reporting to individual subcommittees. So. Why wouldn't they do that? Or maybe that's what they're going to possibly come to slowly. Maybe that will come. Maybe that maybe that will come from this. That this might be, you know, God writes straight with crooked people. Maybe uh, 
this will be the the, the genesis of a military wall uh, that can later be, you know, later be completed by a civilian wall. But, I mean, the idea of the U.S. troops, of our troops guarding our own border instead of the borders of Afghanistan or Iraq should not be that shocking. Actually, our military is supposed to protect our country first. Yeah, and I sometimes I would, you know how you wake up in the middle of the night and then you turn to like a weird thought. Many, many nights, yeah. my weird thought has been a billion dollars a month in Afghanistan. And it's something yeah. that I just can't get over. Like I can't get over it because of, you mentioned the veterans, um, you know, 387,000 veterans dying without ever seeing an, a doctor at the VA. Um, the, just things like that. It just, it makes your blood boil. And when I think of our southern border and what the people who are being trafficked into our country for sexual slavery yeah. are experiencing, it just to 80% me... 80% of women, 80% of women and girls who come into America illegally from Central America are rape victims. On the tra- they get raped on the route, according to the Huffington Post. And if we, if we keep accepting people, we are enabling that. We are inviting more women to take that risk. We are morally implicated in that. Yeah, I can't handle that. That's something I can't beat. Like, that's that's the same to me in severity as the fact that they force all of us to support Planned Parenthood through our, our tax right. dollars. I just, yep. I have to draw the line somewhere. So we're, we've talked about the military base. I want to give you, you know, the last minute here in this segment to just whatever else you want us to know about the birthright citizenship via the EO. Do you expect him to pull the trigger before the midterm? I don't know. I think birthright citizenship, I think it is not constitutionally mandated, and it has been massively abused with people using their children as anchor babies. But um, I think the much more important issue is building a wall and demanding workplace verification so you can't get a job in America without proving you're here, here to work, legally here to work. Uh, that would dry up the problem without having a thorny constitutional fight. That said, I think it was smart of the president to bring this up because he needs to win the impeachment referendum. And I hope everybody listening will get out on Tuesday and vote. I don't care if your local Republican is named Rhino McAdulterer. You get out there and you vote for him this time, because we cannot let the inmates take over the asylum. You know, John, um, I think you put that very well. And I would just echo by saying... Get out there. Get to my Twitter feed, Stacey on the right. John's going to tweet me, and I'm going to retweet the links so you can get the book so we okay. can all learn more about because his mind, clearly, he's at the tip of the spear. He says military <laughs> base with wall in between and military base, more wall. I like that more than I'm able to basically share with you right now. So, Or another uh, option is set, set the Rio Grande on fire, like the Cuyahoga River was in the 70s. I mean, this has to be stopped by any means necessary, if I can quote Malcolm X. Oh, I like it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, we're of one mind here. John Smerick, he's the editor Thank of the stream. Have a great day. You too. Stream.org to find out more. We'll be back with more Stacy on the Right and your calls at 866-963-2037 right after this.
I just thank God for the Holy Ghost. If you will let him, he really will teach you all things. Have you ever made an excuse to someone why you were unable to do something or why you couldn't attend a certain event instead of just being honest and telling them you just were not interested? I think many of us have. Well, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 in one translation says, dishonesty in business disgusts the eternal. It disgusts God. But fair dealing delights him. False witness utters lies. Be faithful and consistent with being honest with others. Stop with the excuses and be truthful. There is freedom when our integrity and character reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. What seems little to us are big to him. With our for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, author and seminar speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, where did the idea come from that there were little green men who lived on Mars? Chris, the idea that there was intelligent life on Mars was given a big boost in the late 19th century when the American astronomer Percival Lowell claimed that he saw linear features on Mars, which he claimed were canals. Later, it became obvious that the Martian atmosphere could not support advanced forms of life, so they've given up the idea. What they haven't given up is the idea that there might be microbes on Mars, single-cell life. This idea is fueling the modern expeditions to Mars to find water. The idea is if they can find water, then maybe there's life. But while water is a necessary condition for life, it's not sufficient. Life is much too complex to have formed haphazardly. It needs a lot more than water. NASA could save a lot of money by going back to Genesis for their starting point. Thank you, Dr. John. This is Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. This is Poll Paris with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blanton. Exit polls. You know about them, right? They've been a part of election night coverage going back to the 1960s. And since the 1990s, networks have run exit polls as a group. They're conducted on Election Day. Voters are asked who they voted for and why as they walk out or exit their voting location. Except not everyone votes on Election Day anymore. 37 states allow early voting. For three states, voting is entirely by mail. That means exit polls miss up big slice of the electorate. That's one reason Fox is working with the Associated Press on a new approach that reflects how Americans vote today. It includes a probability-based state-by-state survey combined with a massive poll conducted online. We're interviewing voters and non-voters to get a full picture of the election. That's why this election day, Fox anchors won't talk about exit polls. It's now the Fox News voter analysis, and it covers voting in all states, whether in person or by mail. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your poll parade. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And make no mistakes, as we sit right here today, we have about 800 soldiers that are on their way to Texas right now. They're coming from Fort Campbell. They're coming from Fort Knox. They're moving closer to the border. They're going to continue their training, and they're ready to deploy to be actually employed on the border. We're deploying aviation assets that quickly transport our CBB personnel. But it isn't just the men and equipment and the soldiers that we're bringing. We've already brought critical material and it's already in place. We have enough concertina wire to cover up to 22 miles already deployed, already to the border. We have additional concertina wire that we can string with over 150 miles available. Additionally, working at where the reinforcers are needed so we can get it exactly where CBP wants us to put it. By the end of this week, we will deploy over 5,200 soldiers 
to the southwest border. That is just the start of this operation. We'll continue to adjust the numbers and inform you of those, but please know that's in addition to the 2,092 that are already employed from our National Guard Operation Guardian support that's been so effective. And that was Air Force General Terrence J. O'Shaughnessy, head of the U.S. Northern Command, U.S. military, sending miles and miles and miles of concertina wire. Now, 150 miles may sound like just a tad out of the 2,100 miles of border that we have. But remember, we already have some wall uh, that is that is actually in at residence there. Some of it is rocky and kind of mountainous in its presentation. Some of it is a waterway. And as John Zmerich, uh, editor of the stream, just shared with us, there's also, you know, the ownership possibilities. Like, obviously, you have these people who are ranchers who own that property that goes up to the southern border. And I, th I personally think that people who may have ha been reticent to allow the government to build a wall before would be happily uh, ready to to give into it now because of the crime that they've experienced and because of the the mayhem of having people crossing their property and some dying on the property and also just the the constant threat of assault that they live under now. Um, but it's not really about what people want. It's about the law. It's about maintaining our national sovereignty and. I don't, I don't want people to think that there's somehow some kind of exaggeration going on here. John's, Merrick, and any of the others that you hear saying that they can not one of them can be allowed to set foot on American soil, they're not they're not kidding about that. They're not over exaggerating. I've even seen some media types on the left saying, you know, they're saying this is an invasion. It's a, a horde. Well, if you think ten thousand isn't an in, in invasion, wait until the ten thousand get through. And then 100,000 present themselves. Wait until there are millions of people flying into airports in South America and driving, flying, whatever they need to do to get to Mexico City so that they can present themselves at our border and demand asylum. You understand that. The, so we have we have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have the Internet. There are many people who sit in their home country in Western countries and in third world countries, they have cell phones and they look at the pictures of the, just, just go on Instagram and type anything in anything, just type in any nonsense and see what comes up for Americans. We have a lot of prosperity here and a lot of people would do anything to get in here and evade deportation so that they could take part in that. It's like you're sitting outside uh, in the cold with a thin coat on and you can see a family inside. And the only thing that's dividing you from all that hot piping, hot, delicious, aromatic food they're partaking in is a thin flimsy door or a curtain. At some point your stomach's going to take over and you're going in. Now what happens? And he mentioned, um, John mentioned that, you know, that you'd have all these people coming here and hundreds of thousands of people coming. What we're not discussing here is the repelling of an invasion. We have a standing militia in this country of unknown numbers. We don't know exactly how many Americans are in the militia. We do know that there are more than two times as many guns as there are people. There are at least two or three guns in this country for every man, woman, and child, legal or illegal. And the gun-owning population of this country would stand two. It, there's no way 100,000 people are entering this country. Uh, so I'm I'm not I'm not saying we want that. I don't know anybody who's a gun owner or or someone who's a preparedness person who's hankering for a fight with foreigners or wants to shoot people or defend their property. But they're ready to do it. 
and we should be ready to do it. America is our home. And it's not about whether or not the people who are coming are women or children or deserving or anything like that. It's that they've refused asylum in Mexico. They want to come here because this is the nicest place they can go and they feel they have a right. And I'm here to say for my own self, they don't have a right. Why? I've served this country. I've been all over the world. I've seen what it's like in other places. And I know for a fact that we do have national sovereignty and we have a right to say who can come in and who cannot. And we will continue to do that. And, uh, you know, God bless Donald Trump for even bringing up the birthright citizenship issue from the, the presidency. Now let's see what he's able to do with it. Let's go to the phones. We have George in Oklahoma. Hey, George, thanks for calling the show today. All right. Thank you. And um, my observation is that um, this could have been avoided if they would have just cooperated with the president and put up the wall. This could have been this, this is unnecessary. And also, it seemed like McConnell is just the best friend that the Democrats ever had. And also, with about the impeachment, uh, the potential that the Democrats might impeach the president, and all this talk about, well, the judges who the renegade judges who are with the judicial activism, and they can and it is in the uh, constitution of our forefathers for judges to act that way. And, and these people, oh well, we can't do that. Oh, we can't impeach the judges. Oh no, that would never work. And yet they cry, and, oh, we can't. Every every don't um, every lose the house and stuff like that. They're going to impeach the president. Well, the time for not impe- the time to impeach the judicial activists is long overdue because they upsetting the judicial branch is supposed to be the weakest branch because all they're supposed to do is decide not to make laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. I comment. You, you spot on. Thank you, George, for that comment. And I, I got to say, you have a better understanding than most people I see on TV uh, of this subject. You, you actually should be on there making comments so people could be better informed. Thank you for calling. Um, he's right. Uh, we do tend to have this. You know, we treat even our local judges. They're up for retention every so many years, depending on your state constitution. Here in the state of Missouri, we have all of the judges at the appellate level for the state of Missouri are up for retention in the November election. And most people see that one and they either don't vote or they vote yes to retain. And so these people get away with making these rulings, giving uh, hardcore offenders a slap on the wrist, tossing out cases where people have killed. And I mean, it's just amazing what they get away with. Now, some of them really are good jurists and they uh, they, they treat their job seriously. And when they come up for retention, you know, they've, they're, they're, they're like, will I be retained? But for the most part, they will. In every state across this country, judges are retained routinely by voters. And so I just encourage you, um, first of all, we need our conservative organizations. Your state conservative organization should be presenting you with a guide on the background of judges who are up for retention. Here in Missouri, we have Frontline Magazine run by the Constitutional Coalition, which is the brainchild of Donna Hearn. She used to be the secretary of the Department of Education. I think she was either the first or the second one under Ronald Reagan. She's also a pro-life advocate, and she does a lot of different things here in Missouri, uh, specifically like a this is nation, nationwide conference of some of the very best authors, and et cetera, who come to Missouri and it's once a year in January. And it's really about education. It's Education Policy Conference. And it's uh, huge numbers of homeschool parents come. And the experts present on that information. But one of the things that she does is every time the judges are up for retention, she has a breakdown that's done by an attorney. 
And each of the judges is researched and you get to have like a snapshot of what they were like before they were on the bench. And then you get some of the high points of what they've done since they've been on the bench. And then she has a recommendation, vote to retain or vote to not retain. It's a suggestion, but at least you have a lot of information with which to make the decision. When in doubt, vote them out. That's the way I operate. Before I'd ever had Frontline Magazine delivered to my home, and it's, it's a newspaper-like thing. I, I should uh, grab one, and I might have one here on my desk. Um, I'll have to show you on the live stream so people can see what I'm talking about. Uh, it comes out, I don't think it's every month. It comes out periodically, but before the election, you get a few different copies outlining the ballot initiatives and specifically the retention of judges. This is a very needed exercise for us as Americans because we tend to say, well, if they're already there and I haven't heard anything in the news, they're probably doing okay. Here in Missouri, the law association, so the Missouri bar actually chooses the candidates that are presented for the governor to select for appointment to the bench. So the Missouri Bar Association is run by liberals. So even their most conservative person would be probably unacceptable to someone like you or me. So I'm, that's something that needs to be changed. But I think you have to go into the Constitution like we need an amendment. And we've done that before. We, we amended the Constitution to say marriage is between one man and one woman here in the state of Missouri. I mean, when we get our dander up, we'll do a, a thing or two. And I know across the country in the 32 states where this program is heard, uh, Americans are no different. When, when they're riled up and they understand there's injustice, they want to do something to stop it. But carefully consider not skipping over the judge retention area of your ballot. If you have judges up for retention, spend a little time on the internet, see if you can find something, go to your family policy organizations for your state and see what you can find. And, you know, let's, let's be as informed as possible about retaining these judges because they're the ones who set up the system. In other words, they, they either rule correctly on a case or they're overturned at the appellate level after the state level, which then routes cases to the Supreme Court or prevents them from going to the Supreme Court. And the more judicial activism we have and the less we actually recall judges, the more empowered they feel. And George said just now they're supposed to be the least powerful branch of government. But in a lot of ways, especially with the Supreme Court fight for Kavanaugh, we've seen that they're not only not the least important to liberals, they are the only thing that matters. Yeah, they want to win the presidency, but they know if they don't have the presidency and they have the courts, they might as well have the presidency. They can cripple the president, as they've tried to do with Donald Trump. So now I want to turn to the state of Missouri. And, uh, you know, Claire McCaskill's race against Josh Hawley. She wants to keep her seat. He wants to take it. And the, the, the race has national implications. But what's most interesting about it is that now national media has descended upon the state of Missouri because leftist national media wants to see Claire McCaskill stay where she is. She's a solid vote for Planned Parenthood, abortion funding, abortion on demand and the expansion of abortion rights. She's also not in favor of gun ownership. She doesn't think that we need a wall at our southern border and she doesn't support lawful immigration over illegal immigration. But. That's not how she sounds now that she's close to the election. And Josh Hawley, who was a long shot, is now not just nipping at her tails, but ahead of her in some polls. She's actually visibly afraid of losing her seat. Now, I just got this teensy little bit because she says the crazy the crazy Democrats are the ones who are doing all of these tossing people out of restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. 
And what she's trying to say is that she's not one of them. Now, I agree. I've never seen Claire McCaskill advocate for forcing people out of restaurants. I, she's, she's from Missouri. She's a middle American. She's not into that kind of West Coast, East Coast melee stuff. But she is a gun grabber. She does support Planned Parenthood, even though she says she's a practicing Catholic. So here she is. It's number one. Point. You have this radio ad out now that says, at one point in an exchange, she's not one of these crazy Democrats. Claire's not afraid to stand up against her own party. Yep, and Claire's not one of those crazy Democrats. Who's the crazy Democrat? The crazy Democrats are people who walk in restaurants and scream in elected officials' faces. The crazy Democrats are, we have a state senator here in Missouri that actually advocated for the assassination of President Trump. That's a crazy Democrat. Um, I don't do those things. I am not somebody who thinks that we should ever be uncivil. I think what most Missourians want is for us to listen to each other, figure out where we can compromise, not scream in each other's faces, not call each other names. So I'm really talking about um, civility here. I'm talking about being polite, having good manners. Well, just to be clear, there's not another crazy Democrat in the Senate. Well, I would say this. I would not call my colleagues crazy, but Elizabeth Warren sure went after me when I advocated tooling back some of the regulations for small banks and, and credit unions. So you see what she's doing there? She's trying to separate herself off from Elizabeth Warren because Elizabeth Warren is still reeling from her announcement that she's an Indian when she's the least Indian white lady in America. She's less Indian than me and I'm black. It's like she's way less Indian than me. But I mean, other 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 white people have way more Indian than she has and not by little, by a ton. So she's trying to figure out how to work her way back from that. And Claire McCaskill's kicking her while she's down. Now, the person she's referring to, the crazy uh, state senator who called for the assassination of Donald Trump, she almost lost her seat. She was almost recalled by the Republicans. Maria Chappelle Nadal. I wrote about this. Um, she actually did this horrible. It was a Facebook post and she called for the assassination of Donald Trump. And at the time, it was so shocking that. Republicans were really going to recall her and she had to go around and make nice with the Republicans, which to her credit, she has on many occasions crossed the aisle from her hardcore Democrat leanings to advocate for school choice for people in her district because the Republicans were offering options for people who are in failing school districts. Since Claire McCaskill made that statement you just heard, Maria Chappelle Nadal has come out swinging with profanity on Twitter, assaulting Claire McCaskill verbally on this online social media giant profane angry tweets she says they're out to get claire they don't want to vote for her the black community doesn't support her anymore you know what i i would say i'm back here with my popcorn but i live in missouri and she needs to go sorry you know um so the spoils anyway that's the music good evening from the heartland if you're sticking with us there's one newsnow.com news and information up next god bless